Worldwide One Love, okay? Thanks for tuning in to us, The Eminem Show. Coming at you live from the district at the One Love Massive Headquarters, this is Nikki of The Eminem Show. I'm here with the fabulous Molly Rulin. What's up, Molly? What up, Joe? And I'm here with the fabulous Jay Mills. What's up, Mills? Yep, 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 yep. And together we are the Eminem Show. So we're going to dive right in this week and we are going to talk about what is going on with the one and only R. Kelly. Jay Mills, tell us what is going on with this man these days. Well, lately the internets have been all abuzz with the latest allegations from the Wee Wee Wizard also known as the pedophile Pied Piper. Some may know him as child raping Robert, but (laughs) Billboard calls him R. Kelly. We knew him from his marriage to Aaliyah at the age of 14. The video of, uh, I believe it is called a golden shower of a young lady around the age of 13. And now most recently, allegations by the family of a young woman by the name of Jocelyn Savage, also combined with a few members that have quit his camp and several other now adult, but were teenage, quote-unquote, victims of his collection of harems. He has homes in Chicago and Atlanta where... Women are kept unable to use their phones, unable to live their lives outside of his dictation, and they've been there for years. Uh, This one young lady's family is very vocal because uh, her mother had been very much a part of uh, the initial interactions, every interaction that she had with R. Kelly. Um, She was a singer, and he was promoting her music and taking her along on his tour and putting him on to other putting her on to other shows where she could perform uh when she became of the age of reason in the state of Georgia she went off on a show without her mother and was never came back home again her family is seeking justice they've called and had welfare offers officers come to the homes where young women did speak with them and say that they were not there against their will and were perfectly happy where they were. Uh, Video also was done by the young lady that is claimed to be held hostage in this cult of his, uh, where it can be seen in the shadows of her shirt that someone is giving her answers on what she can and cannot say during this short interview with TMZ. Uh, Many people feel different kind of ways about the latest allegations because the women in question currently are of age. All right. So that's what's going down. You can definitely look up the stories. It's all out there if you haven't heard about it yet. My question I want to start off with is um, the age of consent, right? So you said these women, some of them were not they were below age 18 when they first were introduced to R. Kelly um, to start off their music career. Um, and they have been with him for a period of time. So now that they, they're an age of consent, they're more adults. 
Um, you had posted a question on Facebook about um, can you help people if they don't want to be helped? Or mm-hmm. can you help a woman if she doesn't want to be helped? Mm-hmm. Um, should we be looking out for these women? Like, what what should we do? Even though the TMZ video, you know, you could see the hand signals kind of telling her what and what not to say. She was still saying that she was fine. It was her choice to not um, follow up her, her parents because they were, you know, being too much or whatever. Can we help her? Yeah. Um, the question was, have you ever tried to save someone that didn't want to be saved? And the ultimate realization that time and experience has brought me is that the overwhelming answer is no. They have to choose to want to be saved. And and there's just this series of choices and things that have happened that make them feel as if they have no other option or that this is the best option. This is a better option than than not having this situation. So it's, it's a toughie, you know, and it goes beyond R. Kelly. I think that we should look into our own lives. Everyone look into your own lives. Look into your family. There's a woman who does not talk to her friends anymore, doesn't talk to her family anymore. You haven't heard from such and such in a long time. We need to reach out to those women. We don't need to pay attention to R. Kelly right now. We need to really look at a very real epidemic that is happening in every city USA. You know, grown men preying on girls at high school, like trying to pick them up at the mall. Yeah. Now, uh, not to bring up bad news again, but the from 10 years ago, what was it? The golden shower video, if I recall, the 13-year-old girl said that she wanted that. Mm-hmm. I, I could be wrong, but if, if I recall, I, I seem to think like she didn't, at least the media portrayed or something that she hadn't had a problem with it. So my question um, for Molly is when you are 13 or 14, are you of sound mind to make those kind of adult decisions at that point? I mean, I feel like at 38, I wasn't at sound mind to make <laughs> adult decisions for my life. So, I mean, you can find yourself in an abusive situation at any age. I mean, you know, my last relationship was abusive and I was, uh, you know, over 30. Um, so I think that you can find yourself um, manipulated uh, at any age, you know, and I think it's even easier to manipulate someone who hasn't fully developed their mind and their um, social acuity, you know what I mean? They're everything. They haven't developed at all. You know, all the only thing they've developed is a body that they're stumbling around in like a gangly puppy. They, they're not even all the way in. So, you know, um, you know, it's real manipulative. It definitely makes me really wonder, you know, where are all these parents? You know, why do people are so sold on this idea of fame? You know, that like, it's a good career move to leave my daughter with this grown man who has a history of this. It's, uh, and you know, I was reading this article and it's, it's not just this, like it's not the stuff that we know about. There's a bunch of other lawsuits that happened that, uh, he paid out. And of course it's not disclosed, but like young women and it's like a number of years and they're like 13, 14. Um, but they were all filed like on Christmas Eve and a lot of reporters aren't checking for that. So this reporter who wrote this article like went back through and found these and was like, how come nobody reported? And it's because the exact timing that those lawsuits like hit the circuit. Uh, and, uh, you know, they made a comment about like the, you know, 
uh, the the greatest disappointing thing that he he learned, you know, researching all this because he's kind of always low key hated R. Kelly because of all the horrible things he's already done. Uh, but he just realized in in doing all the research that there's no group of people who are cared about less than young black women in this country, and I think that's like the most sobering, um, disappointing thing for me is like to see these you know men of color who get some money and some fame and some power and they use that to oppress young women of color or young women or you know anyone else you know uh but in particular in your own community it's just like um it's so disheartening it's so discouraging to see that because it's it's widespread you know what i mean it's widespread it's happening uh it's certainly not a race thing because it's happening everywhere you know rich white men are molesting little boys and little girls i mean it's 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 <laughs> it's so far reaching um, it's always people, the, the haves, you know, uh, abusing the have-nots, you know, whether it's money or power or age. Do you think, though, that if the R. Kelly incidences were all with Caucasian women, that the uh, lack of response would be the same or would there be more response? Mm, that's a good question. I mean... I don't know. You got to look at like Sandusky. That was a bunch of little white boys. That dude was molesting for 25 years and was a white man in like a Penn State, you know, plenty of people of power and stature and money could have done something to stop that. And nobody did anything to stop that. You know, what happened with Sandusky? Was he ever held accountable? No. Uh, well, I don't exactly. I think didn't he die like before he could really be held accountable? I think he died in jail or he died mm-hmm. before the because he was old as shit, but, I mean, the guy was running, like, summer camps and taking kids on vacations, and, like, somebody had to have known something. And so people he, was, st- he did go to jail, though. He did, because he came out later, you know. But, I mean, this guy, you know, he, you know, Penn State, man. I mean, this is, like, you know, this guy, 20, 30 years, this guy's molesting little kids. And people, you know, people had to have seen it. People have had to seen things. They looked the other way. I think it's really more a matter of, like, power and money. You know, and fame. I think that's what it really boils down to is like people with power and money and fame are um, excused from from horrendous behavior all of the time simply because they have money and power. What do you think, Mills? Yeah, I definitely think that there's a certain amount of power and money that apparently you can attain that makes you impervious to sexual depravity. Mm hmm. It's worldwide. Yeah, we've so we've uh, also recently in the media the Bill Cosby um, mm-hmm. situation, and mm-hmm. you know it's it's it seems that there's definitely a culture in the United States worldwide that um, does not value women um, or people of color or people that don't have money. We don't really value each other. Um, I'm curious, uh, you know, what kind of conversations we can have in our communities at home um, to kind of change this culture of devaluing women. How do you get someone, for example, who is ride or die R. Kelly, ride or die Bill Cosby to actually talk about these issues and maybe, you know, transform or understand a little bit better from the perspective of a woman um, why these issues are well, I, I think it, I guess it starts with just trying to understand how people got there. You know, like if you're really ride or die, just like really trying to understand why, you know, um, there's someone in my life who's ride or die Bill Cosby. Um, 
but he also had a stroke at a pretty young age less than a year ago. And so I know that like neurologically he's not, he's not, all of his pistons are not firing. And so there's little glitches in his matrix. And so I'm very patient with him, but he's super ride or die. And of all the people, um, he just wants to keep messaging me these like ridiculously fake news, Bill Cosby articles that have already, it's just like, it's like, why, you know, why, why me? Why do you have to give it to me? And then he recently lost his job, um, that he got like, which was a really good look for him because they kind of like gave him a job when he, when he was experiencing homelessness, you know? And so it's a really great connection for him, but he's so stuck on this Bill Cosby thing that it's now damaging friendships in his life and he's lost his job over it. He lost his job he over lost, ride or die for Bill Cosby. Yes, because what he's was? because he's constantly and it's making you know I mean it's 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 there's there's something there's something there's there's a glitch in the matrix you know what I'm saying, and uh, and it's, so it's just really unfortunate you know you have to really wonder like you know what is what is really the bigger message here right you know what I mean because it'd be easy to vilify him on his Bill Cosby stance so like that's not the issue with him it's really something else. And I suspect with a lot of people, it's always something else, you know? It's always um, a lack of humanity somewhere in the mix or a lack of perspective on both sides that gets people, you know, to that position. And if, if they can experience a little bit of, like, humanity, a little bit of, like, um, empathy, then it's a little easier to, like, try to understand somebody. But that's a really hard thing to do, especially in the social media era, you know? Mm. Um, I think that uh, one of the things that has to be addressed, especially when it comes to the women apologists for these uh, these two people in the public eye, I saw this uh, quiz that was given to high school students where they asked the question, when do you when are you obligated to have sex with someone? And it was like, if you hold their hand, if you kiss them, if you sit on their lap, if they tell you that it will hurt if they don't, like all, it was like 20 different scenarios. If you're there late at night, if you, if you, and it was crazy, excuse me, it was crazy just to see how many different situations existed where women felt obligated to have sex if you're drunk you have to have sex with somebody you're with and understanding that we're taught that good girls do this. Ladies do this and ladies deserve respect. And if you do something unladylike, then you deserve to be disrespected. And there's no space for any tolerance that happens when a woman is over a man's house by himself in his bedroom, drinking liquor, doing whatever, because you're obligated to have sex with them that's that's that you you lost your lady card if you will and whatever happened to you was your own doing you knew what you were doing you knew what was going to come you knew what was about to happen and the idea that you can't say no there are women that are unrapeable there are things you can do there's an unrapeable dress you could wear like no what do you mean where was she? There's a re- unrapeable blood alcohol level. Where does that culture come from? Where does where does that come from? Again, the idea that there's a lady, and this is what being a lady is. Not that there's a woman. 
Because right. it's, it's tied into even how you dress. And how you behave. How you behave, how you speak, how you wear your hair, how you present yourself, what you have on your face. And then even if you if you far so if you stray so far from like the societal norm of what being a lady is and you go the other direction, you might get raped by somebody who's pissed off that you're not playing the game. Exactly. So it literally goes both ways. How dare you? Oh, you're you're a dyke, you're a whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like it goes like the pressure is so crazy yeah. that you you have to fall in line one way or another or you risk have, There's no safety zone, really. Have, Molly, have you worn something that triggered a response in another man or another woman um, or cisgendered? That's another conversation. Have you <laughs> ever worn something or done something, quote-unquote, unladylike that uh, resulted in a threat, physical, verbal? Oh, yeah, all the time. Can you give us it's, an example? Yeah, it's not stuff that I wear because I don't think my cargo shorts are really upsetting anybody. But um, <laughs> <laughs> straight up, I love those things. But uh, um, no, whenever I'm active, uh, whenever I'm vocal uh, and and publicly active about supporting women's rights, I get uh, threats of sexual violence and insults. Baseline. Baseline. Um, in fact, uh, a couple years ago, I protested a photographer, uh, Kirill. Was here is the name of his uh, thing. Kirill was here, and his whole shtick is he um, goes to nightclubs and he takes pictures of women, and they'll shake up a champagne bottle and open it on her face and take a picture. So it looks like a gorilla just came on your fucking face, and then they take a picture of it. And I mean, these women are like soaked, and like some of them are into it because people are into different things, but some of these women are not. But the whole guy, his whole shtick is just like his Twitter account was like, "Real men don't pull out; they pay for the abortion." Like just this like really horrendous like. Real, like, if you were a stand-up comedian and your whole thing was to be a, a super douche, you'd be killing it. But, like, this is your actual stick. And so I protested it, you know, and because they, they went to Capital. And so I stood out front and I made, like, digital or, like, analog memes. And I, I printed out pictures of women just being, like, grossed out and, like, caught off guard by it. And then, like, paired it with his tweets and I just stood outside and I was like, hey, do you guys know who's inside tonight? Well, this photographer's here and this is what he does. And people were... People were appalled and they left, but really nobody actually showed up. I mean that that's the that's the real fucking shtick is like Kirill was here, but nobody fucking cares because the whole thing is just a shtick that nobody's really falling for. The pictures just make it look really fabulous, you know. So maybe two percent of the people like it, and the other ninety-eight ain't showing up. But I protested it, and because of that, um, I mean you can go on the on the website now and look at the article. I mean there's people. Um, Call me a whore, threatening fucking rape. Even the the photographer himself said, "Hey, this pro rapist woman in D.C. pro rape this pro rape woman in D.C. is protesting my stuff." So then I got a barrage of strangers on the internet wow. threatening me to rape me um, for having an opinion and being ugly and being fat and everything else um, for having an opinion. So it happens all the time. It's like low hanging fruit. You know, it's like, hey, watch this. I'm gonna say something that's empowering to women. And, like, watch how many guys I can get to call me fat or threaten to rape me uh, in less than 10 minutes. It's, 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 it's like, uh, it's like th throwing bread into a duck pond. You know, it's, mm. it's so easy. It's so easy. What about you, Mills? Have you ever had um, an experience where um, a man or woman uh, tried to take away your dignity because of something you were wearing or something that... Um, you did or said that was quote unquote unladylike. Um, I think that uh, 
being a woman of the stature that I have for a very long time, my body's objectified, you know. Um, you know, for people asking me, like now my body, I was gaining a little weight, gotta get back on my grind. <laughs> but definitely the why don't you strip, you must strip people if I dress a certain kind of way and people really thinking that I'm a prostitute, mm. um, being just knowing that that's, they really think I'm for sale. Like just mm. because of my body straight up, the random touches that just happen, mm-hmm. just feeling like, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's, yeah. it's really crazy. I have too many stories of it, of it happening. Um, I used to be very self-conscious when my body started to, about to develop. Because, um, yeah, when I was like 11 or 11, I was like a B cup or so. But by 12, I was a D cup. Damn. Mm-hmm. And then I was a double D about by 14. Uh, at 14, I pretty much looked about the way I do now, except I'm 20 pounds lighter. But Mm -hmm. just, you know, all the essential parts, same thing, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, So, again, with the whole people who feel obligated to do certain things, I just kind of accepted that men were going to want to have sex with me if they were talking to me at all and they said hello or whatever, you know, like just not being able to trust any type of situation because of just how expected the exploitation of my body was, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I I joke around with a good friend of mine, Lena Chase. She's absolutely gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. Shout out to my girl, Lena Chase. Um... And that, uh, call it being Las Vegas. Everybody wants to go, but nobody can stay. But everybody wants to go. It looks so good. You just want to try. You just want to go. You just got to see it. You know, it's going to be great, but you can't stay because you don't, you can't afford to be here. For real. But you just wanted to feel like you was living a luxury life for a weekend being in Las Vegas so <clears throat> yeah <laughs> bring it back in uh the Las Vegas analogy is to what is is to I mean just a, a developing the ex- sexuality the or? exploitation of the body of people mm. immediately seeing you and thinking I want a good time and nothing more Mm. Right. Okay. Okay. That's it. But you're gonna be the time of my life, and I gotta have it. I'm gonna save up all my money. I'm gonna do what I gotta do. I'm gonna say whatever, whatever, whatever it takes, just to go to Vegas Mm. and be there as long as I can, live it up. But you can't stay because actual maintenance of truly being with me, like I'm a queen. You know, I spoil myself. I was taught by my parents, especially my mother. My parents are doctors. And I love them for teaching me to get my own and not want something I can't do for myself. So a lot of women, I'm thankful for that because when I was younger, that's that's the key. That's what saved my life, really getting it for myself. Too many women want a life they can't afford. And when they find themselves wanting that life, you want to just you want to live that life, but you can't afford it. You end up with these dudes that are just doing whatever, just pimping you out. You don't even know you're being pimped. 
Yeah. So let's talk about value a little bit more. Um, and this is from my perspective as someone who worked in the restaurant industry for 17 years um, and who was an organizer for almost a decade here in D.C. Um, I think that in modern times anyway, I, I can't speak to where this is rooted um, historically, but at least in, uh, you know, the past uh, century in the United States, work that is quote-unquote, like, typically considered women's work, um, servant work, domestic work, teachers, um, nurses, um, secretarial. Um, mm -hmm. These types of roles or opportunities for women to develop skills, uh, to make money, to actually add value concretely to life, a lot of times are underpaid, um, low-wage jobs, um, sexual harassment is rampant. Uh, speaking from personal experience, um, I've definitely been grabbed in the restaurant industry as a server, as a mm -hmm. bartender, been talked to like I was basically a stripper. No disrespect to strippers. Do what you got to do. But the perception of, you know, mm -hmm. um, I have definitely been... Uh, uh, sexually um, assaulted from uh, other male co-workers and you know that could, that those situations I should say um, could be different um, mental issues for each of the different men that did that however um, the culture of not checking or holding accountable mm -hmm. um, men, at least in the restaurant industry, I believe allows it to perpetuate. And then um, at least for myself, someone who is very outspoken, a very strong woman, I think, how did I let all these incidences go so long unchecked? It's like you learn how to survive in that <laughs> environment um, rather than fix it necessarily. Yeah. Um, I tried to go in and help fix it, but <laughs> um, that's that's another story. What are your thoughts about um, overall um, society, how it actually values women and, you know, how it relates to what's happening with R. Kelly and these these young girls right now? Well, like I know recently, um, you know, this article came out about this guy who um, I don't remember his name. I won't even give him the dignity of giving him a name, but he's a. Rent his uh, industry restaurant guy here in D.C., and um, an article came out about him that he had, like, raped somebody um, and uh, it finally got the attention that it deserved because he has, a, has, like, six or seven, like, assault charges against him. I knew that guy. Yeah. He worked with him. Yeah, and actually, what? so a woman can't... J-Ro, right? That's his name? J-Ro. Whatever. Yes. Fuck <laughs> him. He's a piece of shit. He gets everything that deserves. But, um... He, uh, so, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's raped several women. I mean, he raped a woman while she was jogging, jogging, she was jogging and he like literally and like knocked her over an alley and raped her. So it's not even like, did they work together? Like, there's no like, like, no, this is like one of those rapes that, you, you know, you, and, and they always describe rape as not being like being, that's why a lot of dudes can't relate to rape because they're like, well, I didn't knock her down the alley. You know what I mean? Like, we were on a date, or we were drunk, or we were already naked, right? There's always, like, gray, or, like, no, this dude, like, knocked her in a fucking alley and raped her. And, um, you know, it's just, it's crazy, like, how, and, and there's several sexual assaults, and then 
um, his uh, his probation officer went back to the judge and requested um, that he be on stay on supervised probation. And the judge like denied it, and then took him off of supervised probation. Or no, the 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 probation officer suggested that he has to register as a sex offender, and the judge responded by taking him off of supervised probation. And so I think they're gonna like reopen some sort of um, what I don't even really know, but it's kind of crazy. But it this happened four fucking years ago. Four years ago, all this happened, and it wasn't until, like, the right set of circumstances with the right amount of victims getting together and having an organized movement and saying something about it to get it to the attention of the Washington Post, who then wrote an article about it, and, like, retribution was had. But it's just crazy because... How much it takes. How much it fucking takes. And then he's working at, late Diplomat, who, like, didn't know, but, like, also knew since, like... A year ago, you know what I mean? Like, they didn't know when they hired him, but they had been informed about it, or six months ago, and, like, didn't respond at all. And so it wasn't until other industry men contacted them and were like, yo, do you realize what you have on your hands? And so, and I've said it, and I'll say it again, until men hold other men accountable, the world's going to continue to burn. And it took other industry people who manage other restaurants in D.C. to hit up their friends that manage Lady Diplomat to be like, yo, this is really bad, you should probably get rid of them, before they took it seriously. It wasn't the heartfelt letters from his victims that really did the job. And so at the end of the day, like, men have to stop detaching themselves from the women who are being victimized and like you know, we, we why does it take saying like it could be your mother, your daughter? Like it not it could be it is your mother, your daughter, your sister, your best friends. You know, at what point are 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 the men going to stop what's going on? You know, and it's just like Sandusky, grown ass men came in those locker rooms and saw him doing what he was doing those little kids. So it goes all the way around. It's like until until you know until humanity holds humanity accountable. Like, the world is going to continue to burn, and it's having conversations and, and not being swept up by money and fame. Like, fuck R. Kelly. Like, what was the last artist R. Kelly produced? Like, why are all these parents have these high hopes? Is R. Kelly known for producing people? Does he have a record label? Maybe I'm totally wrong about this, but, like, why is R. Kelly grooming any fucking buddy? You know what I'm saying? Grooming them for what? Like, Wait, what uh, for what? Is he fucking uh, Quincy Jones and I'm not aware? Kind of. I, I hate to say it. Okay, all right. But well, he does have an illustrious... Album repertoire. Well, he does, He's but does a that great mean great songwriter? Yes, he is. But has he actually developed or produced anybody else? Like, yes. Aside from Aaliyah. And was he producing her? Wait, there's somebody else. I I can't remember. And like, let's be honest, R. Kelly doesn't write his own music. He's fucking illiterate. No, I don't know about that. Well, I can't he, confirm that. He he was at one time until the 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 news came out, and then maybe he got tutored. But no, I mean, we have like. <sighs> it's just it's just mind-boggling how the levels of mediocrity that rise to the top in this country. You know, all you have to do is be a really good athlete and you could beat the shit out of your wife on a camera in an elevator and still make millions of dollars. Like that's we come from a culture of people that beat women in the head and drag them home and tied a log to her left leg and till she stopped trying to run away. And they tied a string around her ring finger, left hand, to let her know the other caveman she was taken. But what does it take for transformation? 
for things to change. Yeah. We got to burn it all down. Change. <laughs> you you got women that can't agree that breastfeeding is good and rape is bad. Right. So as horrible as everything that is happening to us is, we have to really take a look. What's more sinister? The rapist or the women who support him? Cover for him? What in the world? There are so many women that teach their men to hate women. That teach their yeah. sons that this is who you respect, this is who you don't respect. That know that their sons are horrible, that they're philanderers, that they're cheating, bringing all these different... And are like, yeah, baby, that's what you should do. Lie for their sons. Like, there are so many women. <laughs> it's It's crazy. Having a son just really showed me a different style from the women who tell him from the beginning, you're going to have all the girls. You're going to have too many. You ain't going to know how to deal with them. But don't choose one. Don't do this. Make sure you get this. Make sure you get that. Like, it starts that young in brainwashing young black men that they are nothing but good dick and money. Like, the real objectification happens to them. That shit is horrible. The sexual assault that they go through, at least when it happens to us, it's like, oh, my God, someone did what? When? There's so many black men that got their dick sucked when they was five, six, seven, and they told somebody and people congratulated them. So in order for us to talk about this, we got to talk about this Mm -hmm. because how are they going to think it's wrong when it happened to them? When somebody was taking advantage of their sexuality and When you have it happen when someone is very young, there's so many people who have been sexually exploited to the point where when you like them, you just want to show them your, you just want to have sex. That's what you translate. Oh, I like you. So I want to have sex with you because that's what these older people do to, to justify these things. Oh, well, if you love me, you'll do this. Oh, if you really love me, you'll do that. You'll, you'll do this. You'll, you'll do it like this. Oh, like really turning these girls and boys out crazy like (sighs) for someone to wrap this conversation up and i'm sure it's going to come back up again um the value of women the exploitation of women and men um molly what advice uh would you give um a young woman teenage girl um who may be in a psychologically sexually or physically abusive situation um, in times when I've, when I've, when I've peeped situations, but you know, it's like that whole, how do you save somebody who want, doesn't want to be saved? You know, there's a lot of stages of denial and recognition in, in abusive relationships. And if, you know, if you tell somebody they're in an abusive relationship and they don't know it, then they get really defensive and they'll push themselves away. Uh, and then you won't know if they're really in danger or not and like when to really step in. So I think with, with a young person, I would just, um, plant some seeds of other thoughts and then offer myself up as a resource if they ever needed me for anything or even just had questions or were unsure about something. Um, because I think just leaving the door open for those conversations and not just being like, if you ever need me to take you to the police station or the rape hotline, like, whoa, you know, if you just have questions, we're just not sure, you know, I'm someone that you can, that you can talk to. Um, you know, my biggest thing is that I believe women, you know, um, too many women just aren't believed when they are expressing fear, mm-hmm. you know. Um, they always just tell us, oh, it's, oh, don't worry about it. Don't give it too much thought. Don't be upset. Don't relax. You know, when people were threatening me, 
with rape, people would say, oh, it's just Facebook. <laughs> no, it's someone threatening me. Like, just because it happened on Facebook doesn't doesn't diminish the fact that it's a threat, you know? So I think um, just listening, you know, listen listen to young women, be a voice, be an ear for them. And, um, and what about Mills for, for young women or men that don't have a Molly Ruland in their life? Um, that, that kind of role, someone that is, uh, open and willing just to kind of be there and be supportive. Um, what kind of advice, uh, might you have, um, to speak to one's internal power? I would uh I would encourage them to realize that they are priceless and try to find what makes them happy. I don't know. I guess I'm kind of down cuz again this is it's just such a familiar story of a very good friend from elementary school. Our birthdays are the same day. Call her my twin. Our parents' birthdays are almost the same days. Grew up around the corner. She was thick like me, developed early like me, was a tomboy like me, was surprised by our bodies like me. You know, elementary, middle, high school. Uh, But there were key differences. Her parents were abusive to her. She... um, Man, she ended up dating just the wrong guys. Like, the right people could try, but she was crazy. Her trust was already broken. Her stepfather was horrible, but he was a soccer coach. The team Mm -hmm. was awesome. So even though she tried to say things and she used to run away to my house, they used to do crazy stuff. Like, the things that she told me in retrospect, I don't know why I didn't tell my parents, but I'm just sharing this because I'm like, you asked me, what would I say to myself? And I'm thinking, what did I say to myself at 13 when I saw this happening, 14, 15, with my friend that was making the wrong choices with the wrong guys, abusive relationships in high school, just how, I don't know. I really don't. I can try to say that, you are beautiful and you deserve to be worshipped for the goddess that you are because you're priceless. And anybody that doesn't realize you are priceless is not for you. It doesn't matter how broken you are. That just makes you more unique and more beautiful. And someone will love you and fix you and hold you. And you don't need anybody that is going to break you anymore. Truth. Truth to power right there. All the queens out there listening, remember that you definitely are a queen to be loved and upheld. Yeah. And uh, we're with that, we're going to transition. We're going to talk a little, bit about, a little bit about what is happening here on the D.C. Uh, scene locally with our community. So it must have been two weeks ago, I think, that uh, the D.C. city government was... Uh, removing a homeless community from the K Street. What was that? K yeah, and... or the, the I Street. I think I or L. 
I, I Street, or no, L, L Street. Right I next think to it. L Street because L and K both have the yeah, like the, the tunnels, the yeah. tunnel over it, and, and those it, are vibrant, um, yes. mm-hmm. homeless community, yeah. uh, unofficial uh, homes right yeah. there. Um, so you saw that this was going on, and uh, you decided to Facebook Live about it. Um, what happened that day? What happened afterwards? Um, well, I was coming, I was going into work and I came over the hill and I saw him shutting it down and I just immediately like turned my phone on to try to kind of figure out what was going on. Um, cause I see those people out there all the time and they're very nice people. Um, and I know they're avoiding the shelters cause the shelters are really bad, you know? And, um, I had noticed recently there was like an uptick in a lot more tents and things. And I think it's cause it's proximity to REI. So I think a lot of people like donate tents. And so, and they, they were really like set up nicely and people had little like American flags on the front of their tents and like flower pots on the corners. I mean, it was really, I was really like happy for them. So when I came around the corner and I saw it being torn down, I took it really to heart because I know they have nowhere else to go. And, um... I confronted this woman about it, you know, and I was asking her questions, and I was pretty hostile about it for sure. I was like, really, like, where are you going to put them? What's the alternative plan? What are you going to do with them? She's like, they're going to the shelter. And I was like, well, you've never been to a shelter. I mean, I was very hard on her for somebody who, who didn't know anything about her. And um, it was a slightly combative conversation at first, but um, she she realized that, like, you know, I was just passionate about, you know, making sure those people were okay, and that was that was my main goal. Uh, and we exchanged information, and uh, we, we met up, and we had a drink around the corner after work last week. We had a beer. And um, we sat and we talked about everything, and she gave me some really great insight as to what's going on in D.C. And, um, you know, I decided to meet with her because I understand that she's been in the, you know, not I'm not going to say industry, that's not the right word, but, like, civil services, you know what I mean, for a long time. Um, and not just here, but in other areas. And she's an intelligent woman. She's been doing this a long time. And I really thought about like what that means, you know, to, to be able to do that and to be, you know, willing to even meet with me. I thought, you know, there's a glimmer of hope that this is like a real human and this isn't just like a PR thing, you know. And I met with her and it and it and it genuinely is. Like she's a genuine, caring, loving human being facing a really difficult situation. Um, and uh just trying to um plug an impossible hole, you know. She explained that we need a hundred thousand affordable housing housing units in dc and we don't have them and until um you know what she said to me that was probably the most upsetting was that you know she explained about the um right to shelter that dc is a right to shelter so there's only it's like dc new york and a couple other places are right to shelter meaning that like if anybody shows up on the shelter doorsteps like they have to give them home for the night and so depending on what's going on in the city and who needs shelter those numbers can change drastically. And then, of course, when, like, other areas shut down or affordable housing shuts down, there's more people. And there's a huge percentage of people that are living, like, one bad check away from experiencing homelessness. And so that population is constantly growing, and they're running out of units. And nobody wants a homeless shelter uh, or a services center anywhere near their house. And she was explaining that, you know... She goes to these council member meetings and stuff, and there's people just, like, adamantly opposed, like, these new people moving in who just are not having it. And so then they have to move them out to Maryland, and they're getting a lot of heat about that. But, like, there's just nowhere to go, and without being able to expand up, there's just, like, the affordable housing is, is, is going away by the moment. And it's just heartbreaking to see all these people, you know, these shelters are filled with people who are just, like, can't take care of themselves. They're in wheelchairs, you know. 
Um, some, you know, you know, there's a gentleman who used to be around the neighborhood a lot, and I think they finally got him into some proper housing, but he was an older guy, and he worked his whole life, and he was married, uh, and did everything right, wasn't a drug addict, nothing, not that there's a, you know, whatever. He, he played the game, he did everything he was supposed to, and the wife died of cancer, and then he ended up, uh, with, you know, no real pension or anything, and out on the streets, and it was heartbreaking, because they stole his ID, he got bed bugs, you know, his knee was bad. Uh, and here's a guy who, like, doesn't even, like, drink or smoke or do anything like that. And here he is out on the streets, and she was telling me, you know, the shelter is is filled with those people. And it's just so hard, you know? It's just such a bigger issue that the whole city is experiencing because everything is so expensive. So it's like for 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 the, you know, the pyramid at the top with all the people who are experiencing homelessness, there's a solid section of that pyramid of people just underneath it who are who are right on the border and it's not getting any easier in DC so it's you know I can't say that I walked away with any like real solutions although like we did talk about starting a podcast you know so that we she could actually like talk to to people and like you know try to rally some resources and some information to like at least get the information out get the community involved and start changing the perception that having a homeless shelter next to your house is bad for your property values, like changing the perception that like you fucking matter more than other people, more than anything else. And like rallying the community around supporting it because, you know, at the end of the day, people want to talk about like, it's unfair that they're there, but you don't want them in your backyard, do you? You know, and that's really what it boils down to in a, in a lot of senses is that, or at least for me, the only way that I can tackle it is that loss of humanity and how to like, build it back and how to, you know, tell, tell these stories of these people that need help. And, and they're not villains, man. They didn't do anything wrong. You know what I mean? Like we are all those people. Like we're all a click away from being any of those people. We're, we're all one. We're all the same, you know? And that's what I think. Um, you know, if you, if you're listening and you're one of those people that went to a council meeting and you objected to a homeless shelter, like, you know, you know, your mom could end up homeless too. Like your dad could, you could, there's plenty of homeless grandmothers out there. There's plenty of homeless people out there or, or people experiencing homelessness. Um, you you're, know. You're so nice about it, the way you talk about it. I have a little different feeling about the situation with the government just because, like, I've been in there for, like, 10 years seeing how they operate. And, and I'm curious to know what, Jay, you think about this as well because I know you got a lot to say about... Uh, gentrification in the district, housing costs, um, the 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 demographic shift, all of these things. But what I want to say um, is that, well, number one, it's great that you actually had the opportunity to talk with this woman and have a real conversation and and learn what the government says they're trying to do. Hmm. Um, what they say, yes. Um, I'm still, I'm highly skeptical of this woman, even though I don't know her. I want to give her the benefit of the doubt. But what I see year after year after year for decades in the D.C. government is there's the budgetary process that happens every year. And there's, uh, there's all the tax dollars that come in. There's a big general fund, and then for like six months, the council is arguing about how to disseminate the funds, what to do based on what the city's needs, services, et cetera. And what gets allotted um, resources greatly um, 
depends on which constituents come forward to talk about it. Um, In this case, um, you had mentioned people coming to the government saying, I don't want this homeless shelter here. Oftentimes, those are people that have the time and privilege Mm -hmm. to go advocate in the first place, um, which looks a lot different from the people who are actually going through the homelessness. For sure. Meanwhile, the city has known forever, you know, that there's a large population of underserved people Um, and, you know, there has also, on the flip side of that, for decades, homeless people and community organizers coming forward with new solutions and proposals. The other thing that is, um, especially frustrating, it brings you back to the R. Kelly conversation about when people have money and what they can get away with because of what what perks they may give out or what the person who wants that power thinks they might get from it. Right. And so the district has a history of giving away land, giving tax breaks to big developers to make beautiful, grandiose um, housing units. There are, I don't know, I, don't, I can't, I I do not believe that there are not 100,000 units available in the district for affordable housing when I see condo buildings going up that are, you know, take years to fill up and sometimes don't fill up. Right. You can make, I believe that the city can make affordable housing if it really wants to, but the the forces, and that's our timer, the forces um, in the political field um, of people that have money is so much greater than, the homeless population that doesn't have resource and the other population in the city that continuously gets screwed is our children in the public schools. It's the same thing. These two populations of people that have no power um, or very little power continuously get on the chopping block. Right. And so I don't, I'm just not sure that I, believe the goodwill that the D.C. government, this woman, is trying to do everything, especially if she knows if they looked into you and they see you're an outspoken, powerful person, they want to nip that in the butt before you agitate some more stuff. I don't believe her at all. There's more than enough space, and they have systematically put into place a horrible situation for people who do not have money in the nation's capital. It's like they suddenly woke up and realized this was the nation's capital, and it was... Chocolate City, and well, no, it wasn't suddenly. I think it was when DC was truly in its heyday before the riots and the lack of development afterwards for decades and decades that happened. Um, it It's just crazy to me to look at DC General. My mother used to work mm. there Talk in that it. whole complex. Was really sad, really. Like, we're going to put a pause in D.C. General and the buildings and buildings and buildings, multi-story. If they wanted to, I'm sure that there would be at least 10,000 rooms in all of those different facilities that used to be D.C. General Hospital. Um, Similarly and more horribly, as we party with Future and whatnot in Gateway Pavilion, which used to be the St. Elizabeth's mental uh, hospital. Yeah, they did not buildings. build another St. E's. They promised that they would 
the decades ago when they closed it and they never did. So for all of those beds and all of these mentally unstable people who need residential help, there is no place for them but the street. So the question we really have to ask now as we move into this new phase of capitalism in America with Donald Trump as president, I hate saying his name, Mango Mussolini, um, 45. 45. Uh, digging his heels in what is capitalism. No free lunch. The idea that giving anybody free housing is un-American. If you didn't work and get your money, you deserve, your children deserve to die. Why are you even having children if you're poor? No more welfare. You deserve to figure it out like the rest of America skimp on by, work out your budget. No more just feeding people. Because honestly, you know, when you look at how someone lives when they're on welfare or food stamps and whatnot, how much money that they're getting, um, living on Section 8 in D.C. right now, paying $25 to $125 for your rent. To where you about to move in D.C. or PG or Mo County. With your minimum wage job, when you were used to getting, it's like two hundred and no, it's 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 three hundred and sixty-seven dollars for groceries if it's a family of two, and then it's like another hundred and fifty-something dollars for every child or person in the household. Over that, to have the type of budget, oh, and if the father's not in the house, you got TANF, and that's another three hundred and eighty-something dollars with another 200 and something dollars per child. So a woman with two kids and no job, <laughs> how's she going to live? Oh, tuh, I forgot about the vouchers, child care vouchers. So you can pay, you don't have to pay for daycare for your babies. How real working people aren't eating that good. They don't have no $400, $500 grocery budget. <laughs> They not they don't have free child care at all. It's costing them thousands. They don't have no twenty five to one hundred twenty five dollar rent. the 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 gap is so far for you to say that in D.C. you got to make one hundred and nine thousand dollars to live here. What high school graduate? What college graduate is making six figures? What adult? How many I mean... people with masters? This is, this is what I can't figure out. You know, the district keeps building more and more expensive housing. The cost of living keeps up. People keep moving here. Mm-hmm. I'm seriously like, who the fuck are these people? They're that all can government contractors <laughs> because that's the that's the messed up thing with the government, and it's horrible because that was what, the last what contracts? Job. What jobs are they getting? Like, I really want to know what the, are you doing to be able to time, afford three thousand, four thousand dollar a month rent? I have some friends that are working these different government jobs, and like uh, my friend, she gets like six figures per contract but it can be months or maybe a year in between contracts so depending on how you budget your money and how often you think it is what type of sector you're in how you performed on your last project if that department is even still there now they're cutting back on all these different government programs you know the age of getting you that good old government job 
unless it's the DC government, the US government, not no more. Yeah, they're offering mad uh, checks for people just to cash out. Like yep. all the contractors and stuff are getting offers. They're like, well, you can quit your job now and we'll give you. And the government subsidizes it just like Section 8. So it doesn't matter how much the rent goes up because these people aren't paying it. But um, yeah, in terms of the homeless thing, between St. Elizabeth's East and West and the grounds of the DC General. And that land has to be government land. But instead of putting people there, they put homeland security buildings, government right. buildings. They moved exactly. something that was perfectly fine where it was to use that space. I mean, it's just as horrible as them closing D.C. General in the first place and and saying they didn't have the money for this and then turning around and spending $400 million on the national stadium. You, Big controversy. Craziness. Yeah. But that's that's where we are. We are in the nation's capital. And you want to talk about... Housing the homeless, I, I call it voluntary socialism. Um, I'm wrap it up with that, that we have to just understand that this is capitalism. Yeah. I know what capitalism is. The only thing that makes people work in the idea of capitalism is that if you don't work, you don't eat, you don't have a house. There are no basics that you get just because you're alive. You have to work for everything you have. And if you believe that people who, for whatever reason, can't work or whatever, then we're going to have to do it. We're going to have to buy these things. We're going to have to put our money up. We're going to have to apply for these government contracts. We're going to have to start these organizations. And they have a lot of money for it. Like, I learned this in, in Howard do. with community development. Like CBEs. They're looking like, please do this. Please find a thing. Please ah, fix it. Please. CBE, I'm going to this thing tomorrow morning. <laughs> Certified business experts. Are you guys familiar yeah, with this? The so power is I'm, yours. I'm surprised you don't know about this. So CBE is you have to get registered as a CBE, and you register in, like, whatever field it is. And then the government, they put out all these contracts every year, but a specific percentage of the budget for these contracts has to go to business owners in D.C. So if you're a small business owner, you register as a CBE, and then you apply for contracts that you might win out on over huge corporations simply because you're a business owner. So Vincent, where can people find more information? About um, that? There's actually an event tomorrow morning. Um, it'll be long past by people time to hear this. Um, but yeah, CBE, look up DC CBEs and it'll come right up. Um, but apparently it's a thing, you know, uh, uh, yep. I know your, your, <laughs> your buddy Vincent Orange was over here one day talking to us about um <laughs> insert side eye <laughs> give it. Let, me, let me tell you about vincent orange real quick oh wow we just i just Wait. have to say this this is i, <laughs> I knew it i used to uh, respect vincent orange but yo he was working on actually no i and my staff and community members uh from dc jobs of justice were working on a fair hours and scheduling bill that would uh, hold big corporations accountable that already have like scheduling tools that are still giving people their schedules at the last minute so they can't plan their life. They can't have right. any kind of economic stability. We were like, yo, you got to give people their schedule two weeks in advance. Um, and he was, quote unquote, carrying the bucket for us. And then he lost his election. And then the next thing he was hired for the very organization that was opposing our bill. <laughs> he went to work for the the uh, Chamber of Commerce and become the, the CEO of the, the D.C. Chamber of Commerce, the same people that were opposing what he was pushing forward. And so I'm like, you know what? You were never pushing that did it put? Did anyway. it go any further? Was it one of those, I got to be in no. there to change it kind we, of we, situations? We, the, we had to drop the bill. It, it was strategically 
not viable at that point. Literally, our champion was bought. That's horrible. When your champion, when your political champion is bought, there's there's no one else caring. The gig is up. The gig is up. Anyway, man. Well, not a tangent. Back to what Molly was saying <laughs> about the so CBE. So I'm gonna <laughs> learn some more tomorrow. Maybe on one of our next episodes, I can follow up with you guys. But I'm definitely curious. But Vincent Orange was saying, "Hey, man, the government buys toilet paper every year. A lot of toilet paper. Find a toilet paper company. Buy the toilet paper. Get the toilet paper contract. Make some money." He's so DC as fuck though. So wipe my ass. He can think about it. Light bulbs, but he's right though. Batteries, especially if as you can provide the contract. If you can get that business, and if you're a person of color, or if you're a woman, or if you're disabled, then it even puts you further up the list. So you know what? Fuck it, ladies. I'm going tomorrow, and I'm gonna register as a CBE, and I'm gonna. I'm going to set up parties for lame-ass government people, and we'll probably be able to pay our rent all year because of it. You know, sometimes you got to play the game, because if you're going to be in the city, and if you're going to pay the rent and the taxes and the fucking stress, then you might as well play the game, too, and get some of the benefits. Indeed. Get that One Love Massive Special Um, Edition toilet paper. That's right. Coming up You heard it here, folks. (laughs) Also, um, DC Arts and Humanities... Yes. Does a lot of loans, micro loans, and other size loans, and has grants for different right, projects. Yeah. Um, I believe it's called a DMB number if you have a DC business to be registered as that, and that puts you in line with a lot of large federal grants. Um, one of which that I uh, shout out to War Eight Arts and uh, Culture Center, <laughs> <laughs> the Anacostia Arts. And Cultural Center? No, uh, Ward 8 Arts Tindani. and Culture Center with Tendani. Okay, um, okay. Which really taught me a lot about, you know, who's coming to sit at the table with a lot of these grants. So when it comes to the multi-million dollar grants, you mm-hmm. need this type of DMB number for your business so mm-hmm. you can be a company that can receive these type of grants. There um, are a couple other things. And, man, that's something that people should really be giving classes we on. We should talk about this on the, <clears throat> on the next yeah, episode, like, definitely. in depth. Well, I'll learn some more tomorrow. Yeah, and then I'll report but, back. Um, start a business and register your business and get some of these these contracts because honestly, again, bringing it back, voluntary socialism is the way. It is. There's a lot of land. There's a lot of businesses that are capitalizing on these funds and not even doing what they said they do. Um, word to Berry Farms and the promises they made to those residents. I'm right around my way. I live um, near Saratoga. Uh, by Brentwood, uh, Brooklyn Manor. And again, they promised that they would have the same number of affordable housing units as it was, and they would be, you know, replacing the student, the, the residents when the new ones were built and they reneged on that promise. So, you know, we should so get, many people about to be homeless right now. It's we about should, to get we should real. get Empower DC or another group that has been yes. working with on Berry Farms or different very, you know what? We're going to bring some guests up in that here that great. can give us the truth about what has really, really been going, going on. on. With uh, development What's in the district, on? yes. Yeah. But speaking of, we've been talking a lot about business. Let's do our uh, weekly business shout out. Yes. What's an actual business that isn't fucking up? That is doing good mm-hmm. things. That is nourishing people, taking care of people. That we can be proud to talk about. Calabash. That's right. Calabash Tea and Tonic. Tell us about them, Molly. Shout out to Doctor Senyata. Um, it is a tea and tonic shop right around the corner on Seventh Street in Shaw. Um, and it is run by a woman who is a fifth-generation Jamaican herbalist. Yeah, she is the truth, man, like straight up. And um, not a mercy. She, <laughs> by the beach. She will. Um, 
she will take care of you. When I first went in there the first time, they were like, hey, beautiful, how are you feeling today? How can we make you feel better? And inside, I was like, oh, go fuck yourself. Like, <laughs> don't call me beautiful. I'm just here for the tea, you know? But that's just my cynical side. It's not all one love massive every single day, folks. You heard it here. But, but they really actually mean it. They all genuinely care about people. And when you go in, it's all about telling them how you're feeling and like what you're missing in your day. And then they make you a tea based on what you need versus just coming in and saying, I want mint or whatever, you know? Um, and man, it is so helpful. I go in there. I feel so grounded. It smells good. It feels good. They have vegan sandwiches. They have quiche. They have little bites, all these amazing teas. I'm totally hooked on the maca matcha latte. But it's a, uh, a lovely black-owned business, uh, and it is a place that will genuinely make you feel better about life. So definitely stop in because, you know, the rent is too damn high on 7th Street. Indeed. So every cup of tea that you buy over there really helps. Uh, Keeps a woman and black-owned business in business. That's right, and she employs a lot of people of color there. And she also does a lot of, like, classes there, and she does a lot of little showcases there, gives artists a platform you know, which is pretty amazing because it's not a huge place, but man, she really, she really squeezes it out and gets every bit of uh, community engagement that she can out of that joint, and I, I really respect her for that. Dope. Yeah. Shout out once more to Calabash. Thanks for doing what you do, and with that positive note, let us close out with a metaphysical moment with Mills. Yep, 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 yep. So this week I've been transformed by a book my mother gave me about the art of minimalism. Mm. And I can sum up this whole book with this one idea. Remove everything from your life that does not bring you joy. And applying that to every corner of your life. Right now it's working through my house, it's working through my closet, it's working through my life, it's working through my phone. It's working through my timeline. It's working through my thoughts. If it does not bring me joy, I have a choice to keep it or let it go. And so often we keep things that do not bring us joy instead of letting them go. We make this willful choice to hold on to bad thoughts and ideas of illusion, things that didn't even happen, people that weren't there. Like you're you're caught up in a negativity that you're holding on to that actually does not exist outside of your want to hold on to it. So the physical manifestations of that from our office places, our homes, our cars, our purses, every corner of your life, you can find yourself holding on to things that do not bring you joy. And um, that's my one love meditative message and love and joy and peace and highest vibration in every single choice you make to the best of your ability if it does not bring you joy let it go there you have it folks if it does not bring you joy let it go <laughs> if r kelly does not bring you joy let him go let him go <laughs> let, let us release r kelly let us release the negative energy in our lives and let's get healthy let's get better let's get positive this is the eminem show thank you for tuning in eminem eminem <laughs> <Joe>. <laughs> <laughs>